When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Sourcing Journal Radio. This podcast series is made possible by Alex Partners, a results-driven global consulting firm specializing in those, when it really matters, situations where how you respond to and take advantage of disruption will make or break the future of your company. The pandemic touched every part of the apparel business, from the global sourcing map to omni-channel realignment to the four-wall retail store itself. What was disrupted for the better? What will require a whole new paradigm shift? I'm Edward Hertzman, president and founder of Sourcing Journal. I am excited to present along with key executives at Alex Partners, a three-part podcast series that will address the findings of an extensive apparel business survey we conducted together entitled Fashion in Focus 2021, Investing in a Future Forged by Adversity. This survey report was gleaned from information provided by apparel and footwear industry executives on how their businesses have been impacted by the pandemic and what changes they have made to their operations to mitigate these disruptions. We hope this podcast series, along with the full report, will provide you and your team information that will help you build stronger and more resilient businesses leading into 2022. Thank you for tuning in. Overstocks and understocks both have the power to break a retailer's bottom line, making inventory planning a crucial tactic for protecting profits. It's clear that a more scientific, data-driven methodology is needed. But what information is most valuable in predicting demand, and how can companies effectively forecast as our new normal shakes up variables such as shopping behavior and supply chain operations? In the third episode of this series, We're diving into how retailers can best plan and allocate inventory in the current climate. Joining me to discuss demand planning dilemmas is Joe Schmidt, a managing director at Alex Partners. His expertise lies in leading cross-functional retail transformations that frequently focus on solving problems around effective merchandising, planning, and allocation. Joe is also a leader in bringing insights and analytics to his clients, leveraging advanced tools and techniques to improve outcomes. So Joe, any conversation on inventory right now has to start with the supply chain crunch we're seeing. How can retailers be better prepared for when such a disruption happens again? Uh, Well, first of all, Eddie, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you about these things today. Um, Certainly uh, exciting times in the industry and uh, I'm excited to get into that with you today. Great to have you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when we're thinking about the supply chain and how it's impacting kind of the decisions companies are making around what to buy and how much to buy, there's really no magic bullet. Um, you know, it's really about getting a, a real understanding of who you are as a business and and really uh, honing in on on what really matters and what doesn't and solving for that first. 
Um, you need to have contingencies plans in place to kind of address the uncertainty that that's inevitable. Um, but you can't have that uh, that type of plan in place across the board. So what when we're talking to our clients today, it's really about you know what really are the needle movers for your business and what are the contingency plans you have built around those. And when you are making those decisions around uh, your assortment and your buy, factoring that uh, uncertainty into that, which can sometimes mean buying more than you normally would, uh, buying earlier than you normally would, but mitigating that with kind of less breadth and depth around the stuff that's not key to your business um, and thinking about other tactics you can do around extending product life cycles, making product less seasonal potentially, and having longer selling seasons can help mitigate some of that risk when you're in a position where you had to make bigger commitments than you normally would. Um, additionally, kind of knowing that you might not be getting what you expect by when you expect it, you really need to have a flexible marketing plan in place to be able to pivot and, and focus on um, what actually plays out and what you have to sell at the time because you don't want to be marketing something that um, you know ends up not available for your customers to buy. Well, I, I certainly hope your answer is going to be yes to this question, but, but do you think retailers have learned their lesson from the current disruptions, especially when it comes to inventory control and management? I think they've learned their lesson, and I think I, I think they've learned it in a way of what what can potentially happen in an environment like this. A situation this drastic hasn't really been the case for you know the entirety of a lot of people's careers that are running um, these types of decisions for businesses. So I think they've learned you know what what is possible and what you need to do um, to mitigate that in the future. Um, that being said, I don't think anyone has a clear game plan moving forward around what exactly they need to do. I think the theme is really, how can we be as flexible as possible while still being differentiated in the market? Um, and that balancing act is what everyone's trying to figure out right now. So one of the interesting findings I, I, I thought in the joint report that Sourcing Journal and Alex Partners did uh, together in October was that companies said they were compensating for longer lead times and transportation delays by forecasting earlier and raising their safety stock. You know, are, are these strategic moves or a recipe for inventory risk and disaster? Well, I, I think first of all, short of kind of revamping your entire uh, product to market process, you know, in the short term, that's something you have to do. I mean, the fact of the matter is product is taking longer to get here and you need to buy it earlier. And um, by doing that, you're buying more blind with less information, which is inherently more risky. So that was just something that that was a situation we were forced into and kind of had to accept. I think as you move forward, uh, assuming that, you know, the supply chain will continue to be delayed, right? I think this is a time when you need to go back and look at where are other areas in the process where you can cut out time and kind of make up for those um, those supply chain lags that we're dealing with today, right? Like, can you cut out design time? Can you reduce sampling activities? You know, can you work with your suppliers to cut out production time and really kind of move those PO placement dates, you know, as close in as possible, you know, with the extended supply chain time still built in there? That takes, a, that takes longer to do because you're rolling out a new process that, you know, across seasons that are already in flight. But, you know, as we move through this over the next year, I think that's going to be key because no one wants to be buying blind, you know, at, at a high percent of their overall volumes. Um, and, you know, no one's really good at it, despite how good people say they are, how good their forecasting tools are. You know, you're always going to be behind the eight ball when you're buying early and you don't have, you know, the last year data to look at in terms of volume and, and demand. You know, I like to say that 
I don't like when people are using the current supply chain crises as excuses not to do good business. I agree with you 100% right now. We're dealing with a lot of headwinds. We obviously have to plan a little bit further out. We have to make some bets that maybe we wouldn't normally do. But I really hope the lesson here is this is not permanent, and we have to change our supply chain to be more agile and be able to respond. And if we use this as an excuse, we're gonna all we're going to be doing is repeating bad behavior that we knew was not working before COVID and bringing it forward in, in, a, in a post-pandemic world. So it's complicated and i know people that you know listen and they say well this this is this is all easier said than done but i think you can you can break apart you know short term strategic you know solutions with long term strategy at least at least that's my perspective I, I totally agree and i think from a a standpoint of really looking at yourself in the mirror around what really matters to your business and, and what are what are higher risk things that we're doing um, a, a, along with the flexibility theme that we don't know what's coming. Things will get better, but they might get worse again too, right? So I think coming out of this um, with that uh, with that understanding will will make us more efficient in the in, as things improve, but also help us be more prepared um, for the next situation like this moving forward. So uh, there seems to be. Um, different messaging uh, when it comes to consumer sentiment. Um, clearly, there's pent up demand. Clearly, the first half of this year, we saw retail do very well. I'm talking from a top line perspective. Obviously, there's margin erosion due to all the you know uh, inflationary costs that the supply chain is dealing with. Yep. But what's concerning me is I do hear some retailers and brands saying that they are starting to be a little bit more aggressive than they even were in 2019. You know, are they getting ahead of themselves? Are they overordering for 2022? Are they just being too optimistic? Um, or are they planning, you know, for increased demand for the foreseeable future? And, and, and if they, let's just say things do swing in the, in the wrong direction, will they get caught holding the bag? And will this just be a, another big disaster like, you know, pre-pandemic when we had massive markdowns and, you know, deflationary pricing at retail? I think what's happening right now, it's, it's a combination of both. I think I think there's optimism in terms of where we're going from a demand perspective. I also think there's a lot of risk mitigation getting built into these plans. So I think there's a, a, a built-in assumption that we're not going to get everything that we're ordering and we need to be a lot more aggressive up front to get, um, you know, what we do get. That being said, you know, we could be in a situation here quickly where the supply chain issues um, right themselves and and brands are left with, you know, a lot more inventory than they really need. So I think from a planning perspective, you have to have uh, a, a plan in place there to say, if that does play out that way, you know, what are we going to do about it? So really being proactive around potentially being in a position in the in the first half of next year where you do have more inventory than you need at the time. So again, going back to some of those levers around how do you, you know, extend product life cycles, carry over more products, um, potentially roll things to a, a season the following year, et cetera, and being ahead of that and as opposed to, um, you know, getting into a situation where it happens and you're already kind of compounding with future buys behind it. I think, you know, where we're at now, the, the key is really going to be the, the next season after, you know, we're buying for right now. And, and not being as aggressive there to see kind of how this all plays out. So a big refrain when COVID first hit was that fashion seasons as we known them were going to be over. We know that's not quite how things have turned out, although I think a lot of us hope that, 
you know, this trend would continue. But what do you think the biggest lesson from the pandemic is when it comes to planning ahead? And do you think we should go back to a more, you know, seasonless calendar or a, a see now, buy now, wear now calendar? It seemed like we were getting to the right place and then we reverted right back. Yeah, I mean, this ties pretty closely to the, the inventory and supply chain issues. It's a direct outcome of that. Um, the fact of the matter is, you know, customers are always going to demand newness. No one's going to wear the same black shirt every single day. And they want to see new things out of your brand. And you have to be responsive to that. If you're not, you're going to you're gonna lose out all day. I think the winners in this environment will have a very informed read on how much newness is actually needed. We see a lot of businesses that have just gone overboard in terms of the number of seasons, the number of capsules coming in every few weeks into the business where your customers are only visiting your stores or your your online site maybe once every few months. So really getting a good read on how much is needed, what the customer is expecting and, and, and solving for that as opposed to kind of what you think you need to have in terms of newness all the time. You're looking at your brand daily. Sometimes your customers are only looking at you once or twice a year. So getting a really good view of that. Um, and then another thing we can really do is while you can bring in newness, it doesn't necessarily need to be new every single year. You could have season seasonal product that you carry over from 2022 to 2023 um, that's still very relevant. So really looking at opportunities to do that more, cutting down on the cost to develop that, but also mitigating inventory risk as well is a is a strategy that um, we're recommending for our clients to, to employ a lot moving forward. So what are some of the ways retailers can improve allocation decisions by channel and location, especially when moving inventory around could be a very expensive proposition, not to mention a logistical nightmare in today's environment? Yeah, I think it comes down to the, having a clear strategy about what you're solving for in, in an omnichannel environment. And most importantly, what it costs almost down to the item level in terms of what you're offering your customer. You, uh, brands really should be questioning, you know, do we really need to have a full assortment, um, all size and color runs in all locations and offer the customer value proposition for all of that in terms of next day shipping or buy online and pick up on store? And what products are actually profitable in doing this? Are we getting the incremental sales lift by offering um, you know, a more convenient way for our customers to get these products or not, and really building the decisions around that. But once you have kind of that clear strategy set in terms of, you know, what you are offering and where, um, you really need to have a, a really clear uh, data model built into your allocation tools around where customers are actually buying the product, where are they picking it up, and, and should they return it, where it's coming back to. If you're not looking at this holistically, um, everything's really going to be out of place. As shopping moves from stores to e-commerce, how should retailers adjust their inventory planning to account for the differences in online purchasing behavior, for instance, bracketing and higher return rates? Um, how does this all play out? I think from the, the most tactical lens, it's all about your your tools and models that you're determining, you know, how much to buy and where to place it. I think historically, um, retailers and brands don't have good visibility in terms of where the order was originated, where it was actually picked up or received by the customer, and if it came back, where it came back to. So retailers that are winning today in the, in the omni-channel world do have an all in view and have good visibility at the location level to see you know, all the ins and outs in terms of inventory movement. Um, I think moving forward, you know, the companies that have that location level plan built down to the item level 
and, and really can allocate from that standpoint um, will be the ones that are successful because um, that dynamic is not going away anytime soon. So retailers are still largely optimizing for sales growth. At least that's, in my opinion, that's what's going on. Do you agree this is the right approach? I absolutely do not. So, I mean, in the past, you know, looking back 10, 15 years, sales growth could always be an accurate measure of business success because consistent margins could be expected to, you know, a lot higher degree. Um, what we are seeing is while we have, you know, revenue growth happening uh, in a lot of areas of retail today, um, the margin erosion that's coming along with that because, you know, the growth is coming from e-com or thinner margin channels like wholesale, um, you know, we're building up a lot of uh, SG&A costs to support those businesses and kind of eroding the overall property of the, the business and, and sometimes going unnoticed with revenue just being the, the key success metric. Um, so, you know, as we, as we start to advise our clients around how do you drive the businesses in a more healthy, profitable way, really looking at category level adjusted gross margins that factor in all the costs associated with moving the product, you know, from your suppliers into your network and eventually out to your clients um, as really the metric you should be looking at. Um, you know, it's not always a straightforward metric to calculate because of all the inputs that go into it, but really getting a much more dialed in picture of end-to-end -end profitability um, at a very low level in the merchandise hierarchy was really should be what drives uh, all those decisions today. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that we need to change the metrics of success, and you know, and maybe until Wall Street stops, you know, uh, measuring companies based on just comp and top line and all of that, you know, we, we may not see a real change. But I, I agree um, with everything that you that you are saying. So let's let's pivot a little bit. How, how do you sort through the data clutter and use the right information to make decisions, what is the most common data mistake or missed opportunity retailers are making in this new climate regarding inventory planning? What I'm seeing a lot with, with my clients is, you know, the, 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 the need to compile um, massive amounts of data is not going unnoticed or they're not acting on it. What we're seeing is teams or companies are building up, um, pretty robust analytics teams that have uh, access to more information than ever. But what we are seeing that is that with these teams, we're, there's still a ways to go in terms of how integrated and empowered uh, they are in terms of plugging in with the merchandise engine, the buying and inventory engines of the business. Um, and, and furthermore, you know what the analytics teams are using and measuring doesn't always uh, correlate directly to kind of what product we're buying and how much to buy. So really what we're telling our clients today is you need to not only, you know, know what in what data to use, but also just almost as importantly is what data not to use and really having a method, a methodical approach around that and how it plugs into the go to market cadence in your business today. Because if you don't have that, then you're actually going to cause a bunch of churn and actually potentially have conflicting uh recommendations or outputs based on spinning data in different ways that aren't really as relevant to your business. So Joe, this is all good in theory, but without an organization that could execute against these ideas, it's all for naught, right? So it's no secret that cross-functional teams manage inventory better in an omni-channel world. But that's easier said than done, especially in legacy cultures. In practice, how exactly should companies think about breaking down team silos 
And is it a fairly complicated and potentially contentious proposition to do this? I mean, absolutely. The, the cultural the cultural dimension is real, but I think coming down to making it practical and actionable, it goes back to the topic about how we're measuring success, right? So in an unconstrained world where revenue is all that matters, you know, inventory, you know, would be completely out of control because why not, right? If you if revenue is all that matters, you didn't care how much working capital you had tied up, you would have all the inventory in the world, didn't care about supply chain, et cetera. Cross-functional accountability, I think, to the total company profitability measured upon, you know, full gross margin impact across the board. Um, and making and making the teams cross-functionally accountable this is really the best way to do it from a practical standpoint. Um, and it really is a team effort, right? So for example, you know, making a merchandising and, and planning team accountable to adjust a gross margin, which includes things like supply chain costs, would make them think a lot harder about how much inventory they really need to buy. And kind of on the flip side of that, simply solving for supply chain efficiencies you know, might have a downstream impact on sales and margin, right? So really getting those aligned metrics that, you know, we may not be measuring the business on today and getting cross-functional accountability across all the key cross-functional teams is is, is a, a good way to really get this kick-started and, and knock down those silos. I certainly agree. Well, Joe, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and I thank you for joining me today on SJ Radio and hope to have you back soon. Thank you very much, Eddie, my pleasure. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.